Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and Corridor Aesthetics.com. Forgiveness is a concept that often takes on religious overtones, but the ability to forgive, to practice forgiveness, is something that can be taught regardless of a person's belief system. Forgiveness can be big or small, but even in small things, forgiveness can have a powerful effect on mental health, physical health, and happiness. This hour, we're going to explore interpersonal forgiveness. Lauren Toussaint is a professor of psychology at Luther College. He will be here a little later on. My first guest today is Suzanne Friedman. She's a professor of educational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, Charity. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. And you've been studying forgiveness for a long time. How did this start for you? I started studying forgiveness from a psychological perspective when I started graduate school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. My graduate school advisor, Robert Enright, had just started examining forgiveness. He had been studying justice, and he said, what's the opposite of justice? And he came upon mercy, and what falls under mercy was forgiveness. So that was in 1987 when I started graduate school. And at that point in time, forgiveness wasn't something that really had been looked at from a psychological perspective, was it? No, not at all. And in fact, um, people kind of were skeptical about the idea of studying forgiveness from a psychological perspective and thought it really was kind of a soft uh, topic in psychology. And now the field has really exploded. Well, let's talk about definitions because, you know, saying I forgive you (laughs) doesn't really mean Mm -hmm. that forgiveness has taken place. So when you talk about forgiveness from a psychological perspective, what do you mean? Great question. There are so many misconceptions about what forgiveness is and isn't. So when I define forgiveness, I talk about what it means to forgive, but also what forgiveness is not. So, well, I use two different definitions, and I like to talk about a simple definition when we talk about forgiveness. It really involves a decrease in negative thoughts, feelings, and behaviors towards the offender, a person who hurt you, and perhaps over time, a gradual increase in positive thoughts, feelings, and sometimes behaviors towards the offender. However, one thing that forgiveness is often confused with is reconciliation. People think that forgiveness is automatically linked to remaining in the relationship, staying in the relationship, and then they think that forgiveness is dangerous and can lead to further hurt. So we make a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness can lead to reconciliation, but it doesn't have to. Another thing I like to talk about, sorry. No, go ahead. Go <laughs> you have on. A question. Okay. Um, I'm a runner, so I go out running, and I feel better. Um, If I'm angry, I could feel better by running. But forgiveness is more than a self-help strategy. When we forgive, we really do take the perspective of the offender into consideration. We rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. According to Smeads, Louis Smeads um, wrote a wonderful book about forgiveness. 
We surrender our right to get even, which means that we give up revenge. It's it's normal to have fantasies of revenge after we've been hurt, especially if we've been deeply hurt. But when we forgive, we give up that right to get even. And like I said before, we revise our feelings towards the person when we forgive. Um, forgiveness also includes feeling angry. And this is another misconception. People don't recognize the role of anger in the forgiveness process. So before one can forgive, they need to get angry about how they were deeply hurt. And when I talk about forgiveness, I'm talking about forgiveness in the context of deep, personal, and unfair hurt. So not minor instances like, please excuse me for being five minutes late, or please excuse me for stepping on your toe. I'm talking about forgiveness for really deep hurts. I think about these scenes that that sometimes make national news. Uh, I remember watching a trial of um, this was a, a, it was a hate crime that had been convicted and committed in Charleston, South Carolina, and mm-hmm. the after the sentencing, one of the women who lost a family member stood up and said to the man who perpetrated this terrible crime, she said, I forgive you. And again, this made national news because it was such a powerful moment. But I found myself asking in that moment, can that be true? Can that be possible? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? And I feel like in that moment, I mentioned that that Forgiveness can take on religious overtones, and I know that the the woman who forgave that man was deeply religious. So I, I'd love to to talk about looking at forgiveness from a, a, a psychological perspective, but how we sort of disentangle that from this spiritual idea. Great example. I think that woman, because of her religion and religious background, knows she will get to a place of forgiveness, wants to forgive. Forgiveness is a value for her, a belief, a goal. I find it hard to believe, like you, that she was actually forgiving in that moment. I, You know, I would say she'd probably be in a state of shock, uh, disbelief, um, but forgiveness is important to her, and she believes in it. And I would say she might not have felt it at that moment, I mean, when we think of other examples of forgiveness like that, um, the Amish forgive. Um, I can't think of the name of the movie, but when um, the Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania shooting, um, when the Amish school children were shot, the Amish went to the offender's wife. The offender had shot himself too and, and told her that they forgave him the day of. I think before bringing up the concept of forgiveness to people, you need to allow them to deal with their immediate emotions. It's difficult to forgive right after one has been hurt. There's a lot of feelings that need to be expressed. I think that woman wanted to forgive, and that's why she said it. And maybe I was have beginning of, that journey. Yes, exactly. But we have a 20-unit model I learned in graduate school or helped develop in graduate school And when I worked with incest survivors for my dissertation, the average time it took an incest survivor to forgive was 14.3 months. Now, it won't take that long for everybody to 
forgive. But, you know, when you think of incest, it's one of the deepest hurts a person can experience. It's also one of those hurts that a lot of us would call unforgivable, just like murder, just like a hate crime. There are so many things that, I mean, that's how we categorize them as unforgivable because it's so difficult to imagine forgiving someone for perpetrating that kind of hurt. You are working with people who have been hurt so deeply to work toward forgiveness. So uh, walk me through this. First of all, why is it important for someone to even consider forgiveness for something that was so horrific? Yes. Well, I think your your question of why we call those things unforgive, unforgivable has a lot to do with our misconceptions of forgiveness. And I just want to go over those. Um, forgiveness is really for the individual who was hurt, although it does benefit the offender, people around the individual who was hurt, and society in general. And when we forgive, we, we let go of that anger. And anger is debilitating. Anger takes a toll on a person mentally, emotionally, physically. If you're carrying around anger for a long time, it's like you're wearing a, a weighted backpack. Um, you may experience stress. You may not be able to sleep. You may have anxiety. You may have depression. And it's important to find a way to release that anger. And forgiveness is one way to do that. Um, but it's not the only way. Forgiveness is a choice. I don't want anyone to feel that they are forced to forgive or they have to forgive. When people feel forced to forgive, it does not lead to genuine forgiveness. So it always has to be a choice. But what I think is important is educating people on what forgiveness looks like, what it means to forgive, and how to forgive. So in terms of what forgiveness is not and why people think that, um, certain acts are unforgivable, is that people confuse forgiveness with excusing or condoning or saying what happened was okay. So when we talk about really deep hurts, it's like, I could never forgive that, meaning I could never excuse that. That that can never be okay. Um, which is forgiveness is you're not excusing, you're not condoning. Actually, when you forgive, you are recognizing that you've been deeply hurt, and that something unfair um, happened to you, that you did not deserve to be hurt. So you are naming what happened to you. You are identifying that you've been hurt. Um, Another thing is that forgiveness is not forgetting. People hear that forgive and forget. Um, If you've been deeply hurt, you're not going to forget that hurt. I work with incest survivors. They are not going to forget that. People who've been um, in relationships um, cheated on are not going to forget that. Um, When you forgive, you may not think about the hurt as often um, because you've forgiven, but you don't ever truly forget what happened to you. Another misconception of forgiveness is that you need an apology to forgive. And apologies certainly make forgiveness easier, but we don't always have control of whether we're going to receive an apology. Oftentimes, an offender doesn't admit to the hurt, um, might not know that they hurt you, or 
for some reason doesn't or can't apologize. And if you're saying, I'm not going to forgive unless I receive an apology from the person who hurt me, you're leaving yourself trapped in another painful situation because your forgiveness is dependent upon the offender's actions. So you can forgive even without an apology. Would I want to get back in a relationship with someone who hurt me and hasn't apologized or admitted to the hurt? No, maybe not. But I can work on forgiving from a safe distance. I can release my anger. I can Suzanne, we're going to take a short break. We're going to talk more about forgiveness in a moment. I am talking with Suzanne Friedman, a professor of educational psychology at UNI. This is Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at CorridorVein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This hour, we are exploring the concept of interpersonal forgiveness and talking about how it can be taught, how it can be practiced, and how powerful forgiving can be in our lives, even when we have been wronged in really profound ways. In a few minutes, Lauren Toussaint, a professor of psychology at Luther College, will be here. We're going to talk about some of the health benefits, mental health and physical health benefits of forgiveness. With me right now is Suzanne Friedman. She is a professor of educational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa. And Suzanne, just before the break, we were talking about the work that you have done with people who have been profoundly wronged. Incest survivors is an example that that you've raised a couple of times and helping them learn how to forgive and why it it might be powerful for them to forgive. As I mentioned, we'll talk about some of the physical and and mental health benefits uh, in a little while, but you were talking about how not forgiving, not not forgiving without receiving an apology, not forgiving without the other person taking personal responsibility for what they've done can leave a person locked in to the state that they are in, which can be enormously stressful for them. So if somebody makes the decision to forgive, how do you help them proceed? How can you take those steps? Yes. Well, um, I mentioned that I I use a 20-unit model um, that has four different phases, and I work with them on those four different phases. And the first phase is the uncovering phase, where we really examine the injury and what happened and help the person break down any psychological defenses that they're using Um, to deal with their pain, like sometimes people don't want to admit they're hurt. Um, You know, to admit one is in pain and has been hurt by someone, you have to be vulnerable, and that's hard for people. Um, So sometimes it's easier to deny one's pain. But when you forgive, the first phase really has you getting in touch with your feelings about being hurt and expressing that hurt and anger in a safe and healthy way. We see examples in society about... 
um, of people who don't know how to express their anger. They either hold it in or they explode. And I, I teach a college class on interpersonal forgiveness here at UNI. And students tell me that they wish they had received this information when they were younger. A lot of people think that anger is um, bad. And anger is a natural and normal emotion like any other emotion. It's what we do with our anger that could be considered good or bad. So when I work with students and and adults, um, the first phase really has individuals getting in touch with their feelings of anger or other um, hurt feelings and expressing them in a healthy way and, and being validated for what happened to them. I think a lot of kids have had painful things happen to them and we don't really do a good job of validating, um, you know, children and adolescents pain. So that's kind of the first phase. And at the end of the first phase, the step is kind of recognizing that the way one has been coping isn't effective. When I worked with students at um, Marshalltown Learning Academy this past fall, they hold on to a lot of anger because of some really bad things they've experienced. But that anger is getting in their way of being successful in school, um, achieving their goals, um, developing successful relationships. So realizing how anger is affecting one and making a decision that they want to do something different. So the second phase is the decision phase. And that's the idea that, um, you know, I want to I want to look into what forgiveness is. I want to learn more about it so that maybe I can actually make this commitment to forgive and then work on the forgiveness process. So in the decision phase, one makes a commitment to forgive. And that doesn't mean that they feel forgiving at that moment, but that they know they want to embark on the journey and process of forgiveness. The third phase is the work phase. And that's where we really get in to the steps that lead to the feelings of forgiveness. And a big step is reframing. And reframing has a few different ideas, but we view the offender in context. We learn more about the offender if we can. Um, we, we do this not to make excuses for the way we were hurt or how we were hurt, but to better understand how that hurt occurred. So, for example, with the incest survivors I worked with, some of them discovered that their abuser had also been abused as a child. And understanding that allowed them to better understand how the their offender abused them. Again, not to make excuses. Right, but to, to look at they, that, that perpetrator as a human being and to exactly, understand and the complexities that, that they bring to this as well. And that's the other part of reframing is we recognize that the humanity in the offender, that we are all human beings and all human beings have um, this idea of um, inherent worth just because they exist as a human being, not based on their actions, but based on who they are. And all human beings make mistakes. We're all imperfect. Some mistakes definitely are deeper than others, but that's part of being a human being. And um, this reframing, this ex- this view of um, a way of expanding our view of the offender leads to feelings of empathy and compassion, 
which are also part of the work phase. And another unit in this phase is the acceptance and absorption of pain. So when we are working on forgiving, we say that we're going to accept and deal with the pain that we've experienced rather than pass it on to anybody else, rather than take out our pain on other people. In families where abuse has occurred, there's often intergenerational cycles of abuse. But the person who is working on forgiveness says, I'm dealing with my pain so I won't hurt anybody else. So that's this acceptance of the pain one has experienced, and it's an important um, part of forgiving. And the last phase is the deepening phase, where we realize that we may have needed forgiveness from other people in the past because of our hurtful actions toward them. The idea that we're not alone, finding meaning for self and others in the suffering and in the forgiveness process, and maybe realizing that we have a new purpose in life um, because of the injury. And then as a result of working through all these units, we experience a decrease in negative affect and um, thoughts towards the person and behavior. And perhaps, like I said, over time, we may begin to feel more positively um, towards them, think more positive thoughts. Maybe we engage in a relationship with the offender. Maybe we don't. Maybe we wish them well. Maybe we hope that they can change their hurtful behavior. That can be considered forgiveness. What do you see in in individuals that have gone through this process and, and embraced this process? How do you see the forgiveness changing them? Because we're, we're really talking about the power of forgiveness for the forgiver. Exactly. They, I, I think they feel so free that they don't have to hold on to this anger anymore, that they can let it go. And it doesn't mean that they're excusing or condoning what has happened to them. They also feel free that if anger, that they can express their anger, that they don't have to hold it in, and that it doesn't mean that they have to get back into a relationship with another person, with the person who hurt them, that they can forgive from a distance, recognizing that everybody makes mistakes and and seeing the person as a human being is also powerful as part of their forgiveness model. So those are some of the the key things that they're able to move on feeling free and and also kind of like not connected anymore. When you feel angry, you're still kind of connected to the person who hurt you. But when you let go of that anger, they're really able to let go of the pain associated with the hurt. I'm talking to Suzanne Friedman. She's a professor of educational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa, and we are talking about forgiveness. And Suzanne, we've talked so far about forgiveness on a large scale, forgiveness for some really deep and terrible wounds. You also work with young kids. You teach fifth graders how to talk about forgiveness. So tell me a little bit about that and how you approach forgiveness with children. Yes. um, Last year, I um, taught three classes of fifth graders about forgiveness. And when I work with forgiveness, um, with fifth graders, we really simplify the model. And I use children's literature 
to help them understand the concepts that I'm talking about. So like the first phase is deal with feelings. And we talk about how anger is a natural and normal emotion. Then we talk about how we express our anger and consequences of holding on to anger. And we do thumbs up or thumbs down when kids brainstorm and share the way that they deal with anger. And I teach them healthy ways of dealing with anger. And we talk about um, revenge and how that might feel good in the in the moment, but really doesn't lead to any long-term change. Um, then we introduce what, what it means to forgive and what it looks like to forgive. St- students um, discuss the difference between um, forgiveness and, um, you know, reconciliation, that they don't have to stay in a relationship with a friend who maybe is hurtful to them. Um, we talk about how Forgiveness and justice can both occur. That's something I didn't mention before, and people often have misconceptions about it. But um, some people think that if they personally forgive, that justice can take place. So if a student's being bullied, um, we make sure to let the student know that the bully, you know, the student can tell the teacher that they're being bullied. The bully can experience consequences, but the student can personally um, forgive. Um, Also with students, we talk a lot about kindness and this idea of radical kindness, that it's easy to be kind to people who are kind to us. But when we practice forgiveness, we are showing kindness even to someone who isn't kind to us. And we spend a lot of time talking about we don't always know why people are hurtful and um, showing kindness to them may help them change their behavior from being unkind to being kind. And we read a book, um, Spaghetti in a Hot Dog Bun. That's a great example of a person, a child being kind to, to someone who was bullying her. Um, we talk about how forgiveness is courageous and takes effort. We read a book about Ruby Bridges um, forgiving. And we talk about how doing Um, Something bad doesn't make you a bad person. I think people get stuck in their identity if they've done something bad and no one wants to be remembered for their worst action. And um, we read books that show people can move beyond something they did. Um, We use games. I use the game Two Truths and a Lie as an introductory game when I first start teaching, then we play the game Two Truths and a Lie about forgiveness. Students make up two true statements and one lie, and we, other students have to guess which is the lie to assess their knowledge. Um, We talk about the idea, um, like I said, of inherent worth, and we read the book Let's Talk About Race, and it discusses how when we take off our skin, we are all the same. That helps students understand this idea that we're all human beings no matter what we we did. And we talk about seeing with new eyes and perspective taking, like I mentioned. But we use books to help kids understand all these concepts. So I think about um, the way that we react often as adults, as parents or teachers, caregivers, when uh, altercation 
occurs. Mm-hmm. And we do always tell our kids that they need to say they're sorry and, you know, let's make up that kind of thing. But it sounds like we're skipping a whole lot of steps when we do that. We're not helping kids actually process their feelings and and forgive. Exactly. I think the problem with that is when an altercation occurs in the school, we we tell the offender to apologize right away, even before they're sorry or even realize that what why what they did was hurtful. I think it would be better to give the, the child um, some time to reflect on it, maybe write about it, write an essay about what they did and, and why it was hurtful and, and how it may have hurt the other person, and then apologize when they really feel remorseful and are ready. And then for the the child who was hurt, the the victim, um, I think with we always tell them, okay, when when someone apologizes, say you forgive them, accept that apology, and instead, you know, that doesn't allow one maybe to deal with their feelings, to even recognize their feelings, to express their anger in a healthy way. Um, it would be better to teach kids to say that they appreciate the offender's apology. And maybe that they're working on forgiveness and they hope to get there. Um, But right now, maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they're still dealing with their anger. But not when we we when we force kids to to say, I forgive you. What that leads to is um, not feeling really the forgiveness inside and then confusing um, forgiveness with this um, not a very good feeling. And, and, And people can bring that into their adulthood and, and then won't be able to recognize the healing nature of true forgiveness well, with what happens when people really do engage in the process of forgiveness. And Suzanne, we have a, a break coming up in just a minute, and I'm going to ask a big question so we can talk more about it later. But it feels like you're talking about how our psychological understanding of forgiveness and how to accomplish forgiveness and practice it has deepened and really grown in recent years. At the same time, it feels like our society is going the exact opposite direction. Do you feel that way? In some ways, yes. I I think our society can really benefit by um, listening and recognizing um, that even if someone has a different perspective than you do or a different belief or you disagree with them, but it, it, they're still worthy. Um, we write people off very quickly. We're a cancel culture right now. Um, someone does something to you or has a different belief than you or is different than you. We don't see them as a human being that deserves respect. And that's a really important part of the forgiveness model is recognizing the inherent worth and the respect in all individuals. And our society really needs that now. Charity. Yeah. Suzanne Friedman, let's take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment to talk more about forgiveness. Suzanne Friedman is a professor of educational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This hour, we are talking about 
forgiveness. We've been talking about exploring forgiveness from a psychological perspective, how to teach people to forgive, how to help people walk through the process of forgiveness. Suzanne Friedman is here. She is a professor of educational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa. And I want to bring Lauren Toussaint into the conversation as well, a professor of psychology at Luther College. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Charity. Thank you so much for being here. And I know that the two of you work together often. You're both members of the Forgiveness Scientific Advisory Council. And I want to focus now on the mental and physical health benefits of forgiveness. And Suzanne has has certainly given us um, some ideas of how forgiving can help a person move forward and let go of anger, let go of the stress of the anger that they are carrying on a, a daily basis. But Lauren, tell me a little bit about what we have learned about how forgiveness can actually affect our our stress levels. Yeah, that's an interesting story, and um, the the background here that uh, Dr. Friedman has provided is really essential. Um, about, I would say, 25 years ago or so, we knew virtually nothing about how forgiveness might be related to your overall, you know, mental health, happiness, physical well-being. We, we knew none of these things, and uh, today I can say pretty confidently that we know that forgiveness is very good. It's, it's, uh, it's good for all of those different categories. Um, you know, things like depression, anxiety, even things like PTSD symptoms, happiness, your general daily mood, um, you know, aches and pains, even cardiovascular problems. And in a couple of studies, We've even seen that forgiveness is related to a longer life. So we, we have lots of answers um, that have come to us just in the very recent couple of decades. How do you quantify forgiveness if you're, if you're studying all of these benefits and, and the effect that it has on us physically and mentally? How do you quantify forgiveness? That's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked. Uh, that's one of the things that, that uh, Dr. Friedman and I are doing on the uh, Discover Forgiveness Advisory Council that we're part of and the work that we're doing with the Templeton World Charity Foundation is is centered on that very thing. How do you measure something as uh, personal, as individual, as, um, you know, spiritual as forgiveness is? And the thing that we do in psychology is we take these uh, sometimes rather nebulous constructs, and we we make them. We, we, what we do is we call it operationalizing a construct, and that means we make it measurable. So we can see forgiveness in people's uh, behaviors. We can uh, we can feel forgiveness, or people can report on the the kind of experience they have when they feel forgiveness. And uh, uh, certainly, people can discuss the kinds of thoughts that they're having when they're. Um, experiencing forgiveness. And so we take a collection of those things. Uh, to make a long story short, we go through uh, an arduous process that involves a lot of math and what we call psychometrics, that is the fine-tuning of, uh, of carefully designed psychological assessments and tools. And uh, we eventually develop uh, a measure of forgiveness that we have confidence in, in terms of its 
reliability, in terms of its validity or its accuracy. And then we use those tools to examine uh, the effects of interventions like what Dr. Friedman has talked about with um, the kinds of work that she's done. We also use those tools in uh, the kind of work that I've done more of, which is looking at uh, associations between uh, forgiveness and mental and physical health outcomes, sometimes through correlational studies, sometimes through experimental work. And you mentioned uh, that, that there are all of these physical benefits. I think that that probably is a little bit difficult sometimes for people to wrap their minds around. I mean, we know that that being angry can make us feel bad, but it's actually harming us physically, Lauren? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Perhaps the most direct route to uh, physical change that comes through emotions is probably through anger. Uh, anger does things to your heart and your cardiovascular system that no other emotion does. It, it immediately raises your blood pressure, increases your heart rate, and, and just causes a, a whole sort of systemic change in, in your physiological functioning. So lots of the same sorts of things that happen with stress happen with anger. And uh, certainly that being one of the key emotions that we're trying to address and deal with in forgiveness, um, it, it's, it's not um, surprising that anger has powerful effects on physical health and the reduction of that anger and, and hopefully the, re the replacement of that anger with forgiveness is something that brings uh, a kind of a physiologically uh, calming state. I think about uh, what you were talking about, Suzanne, earlier about feeling like you're locked in a, a, a certain state without the ability to move forward without forgiveness. And I think about how when I'm really angry about something, I perseverate on it. I think about it over and over. I relive what made me so <laughs> angry. And um, and I know that, that there can actually – you can measure the physical reactions of people when they're reliving these moments, thinking about what made them so angry or so hurt? Suzanne? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And um, you could see how their blood pressure has, um, you know, is high when they're reliving um, these experiences, how their heart rate is, is higher. Um, and, you know, it's it's normal to have that anger and perseverate about it when, you know, immediately following. But if we're talking, you know, years later, months later, depending on the injury, um, like Lauren said, that really takes a toll on one's heart physically and, um, you know, emotionally. And the emotional difficulties, I mean, there are so many that, that you can experience. But as we are carrying that hurt with us, and we're bringing that into new relationships. Is that is that one of the the really big concerns that you have, Suzanne? Is that we lock ourselves in a pattern if we cannot move forward? Exactly. I, I did some work with at risk adolescents at Expo um, Alternative High School um, years back, and some of their responses after I taught them the forgiveness really had to do with that. Um, one student said, um, before class, I hated the injurers and men in general, now not as angry and um, closer to forgiving. I learned ways to relieve anger instead of what I did before. 
or learning about forgiveness and just that it's an option. Learning that holding on to anger makes it worse. Um, learning about you can forgive someone even if they don't apologize lets off a lot of stress. So those are specific responses from the adolescence about how freeing it is just to know that there is an option um, instead of carrying this anger with one. I don't, I don't think we um, really do a good job about um, talking about different ways that um, we could deal with our feelings and anger after we've been hurt in society. I'm going to bring up a, a subject that we could probably spend another entire hour talking about, but I think it's so important. And of course, none of us are perfect. We have all done things that are wrong. We have all hurt other people, either purposely or, or not on purpose. And Lauren, research shows us that that not forgiving ourselves can be even more detrimental than not forgiving others? Yeah, that's an interesting um finding that we're uh, we're seeing and that's just one of those things about being human is that we don't we hold ourselves to a higher standard than anyone else does and the the replay of the offense that you might have committed against someone uh it can just it's on continuous repeat in your mind where sometimes if you've been hurt by another person and let's say that person moves away and maybe you go on to a different career or whatever, uh, you might not have many opportunities to think about the person that hurt you. And you might kind of start to forget a little bit about it and maybe forget some of the details of it. But when it comes to something that you've done wrong, uh, you not only have a memory of what you actually did, but you have a memory of all the thoughts that you were having, all the experiences you were having subjectively. And so it's, it's something that's just really hard to get past because, you know, we're, we're witness to everything um, <laughs> that makes it really difficult to get over that, that hump. And so often what we're finding is that the effects of forgiving yourself are sometimes almost twice as much as the effects of forgiving others in terms of your health and well-being, and especially in terms of your mental health. And so that's a that's an interesting finding, one that I think we may not have expected or predicted. Well, and it's it's so complicated because, of course, we don't want to mm-hmm. say, oh, nothing that I do is really that big a deal. I forgive myself. <laughs> you, you you have to be accountable yeah. for, for the other people that you interact with in your life. But, I mean, Suzanne, can you tell me a little bit more about this idea of forgiving one's self? Because I'm, I'm sure that that's often intertwined with the act of forgiving others. Exactly. And like you said, um, and Lauren said that we are often our harshest critic and um, we, we can't move beyond what we've done. But if, if we don't move beyond what we've done, um, sometimes we, we don't treat ourselves well because we don't feel worthy. Um, sometimes we keep, you know, committing that hurtful act be, because we, we can't forgive ourselves. So, Self-forgiveness is so important, and if we can forgive ourselves, that often helps us forgive other people. And I think for people who are, you know, stuck, um, not being able to forgive themselves, you know, it depends on if they hurt another person or they did something to hurt themselves. If they hurt another person, I think apologizing, um, you know, 
making amends if possible, even if the other person doesn't accept the apology. They know that they've admitted that they have did something hurtful and they've apologized. And um, I think that's really important um, to admit um, that one has done something. And then, like I said, make amends if possible in whatever way. We we have a hard time in society of um, this idea that we all make mistakes. And I think if we can do a better job of recognizing that and then welcoming people back into the fold, even after they've made a mistake, even if someone um, has engaged in, in something hurtful, like a student with bullying, um, if we only see them in the eyes as a bully, if if we don't forgive them, they're not going to be able to you know, forgive themselves. We have to help individuals realize that they can make mistakes and and move on um, past their mistakes. And I think individuals would be better at self-forgiveness if um, we recognize that fact I, I th- uh, as a society. I, I think about this often, again, with this, this kind of cultural moment that we're living in where anything that someone has said or done in the past can make them unforgivable in the public eye, that that we don't think about the opportunity or the possibility of learning and growth with an individual or with ourselves. I mean, Suzanne, is that part of, of the equation that we're missing? Uh, yes. And oftentimes it's because I think we focus on punishment and consequences um, rather than helping individuals learn and develop and 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 recognize that we our role in helping individuals move beyond the hurtful behavior. So if it's just about um, canceling and and punishment punishment, we we do view the person um, in one way and and we don't recognize that they can move beyond that. But if we see that, we can help individuals change and people do go through phases. And there is a reason sometimes for people hurtful behavior, looking at it in context, trying to understand it better, um, giving them, helping them with uh, making apologies, that that's an expected part um, after they've recognized they've done something hurtful. I think our society would be more gentle and forgiving if we have that view of 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 people, we only not have, just. Sorry, I, I was just going to say we Go only on. have a moment left, Lauren. It sounds like you have something you want to add to that. No, I was just going to say I I think it's really about growth on on both sides. That when other people have hurt us, we have to trust that they're trying to grow and and improve themselves and 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 become fullest version of themselves. Same thing's true when we hurt others. You have to believe that you're mm-hmm. growing and developing and. Um, you're you're going to do better in the future, and so it centers around growth. That, that's that's a key. With with only a minute left, uh, I'm sure you both have great advice on this. But Lauren, I'll I'll let you uh, answer. I, I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening right now who are thinking, you know, I I need to move forward with forgiving someone or, or for something that that I've held on to a grudge that I have carried. Lauren, what kind of steps do you think an individual should take? when they start that journey? 
Yeah, I think the most important thing is to be empathetic and compassionate, both with others and with yourself. And starting with a, you know, a moment of prayer, if you're a spiritual or a religious person or uh, taking some time to meditate on it, really setting an intention and deciding that this is something you want to do. That's really an important first step. Lauren Toussaint, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Charity. Lauren Toussaint is a professor of psychology at Luther College. Suzanne Friedman, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. Oh, my pleasure, Charity. Thank you for having me on to share information about forgiveness. Suzanne Friedman is a professor of educational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa. We have been talking this hour about interpersonal forgiveness and the power of forgiveness for someone who can practice that level of forgiveness. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR. Our producers are Danny Gear, Caitlin Troutman, and Samantha McIntosh. We had production support today from Tony Daner. You never need to miss an episode of Talk of Iowa. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.